Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, it's a quarterly investment outlook special where we put your questions to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. And as 2024 gets underway, the questions this time reflect the delicate moment that markets find themselves in. Some hope that the recovery can continue, but some fear as well that the next setback is just around the corner. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Each quarter, Fidelity publishes its investment outlook, a snapshot of the market's landscape that rounds up the issues on the minds of investors. An invaluable part of that is the questions that we invite you to submit to us, and in particular to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Tom and I have answered some of those questions in a special video that accompanies the Outlook, and you can find that as well as the Outlook itself at the Markets and Insights section of our website at fidelity.co.uk. The podcast this week takes on even more of those questions, and Tom is here with me to do that. We're also going to hear from Tom about the four funds that he's picked for investors to watch in 2024. Um, Tom, welcome along. Before we get to these questions, can we have a word on markets in general as we start this new year? Things look considerably better, don't they, uh, than when we last did one of these back in October? Yeah, absolutely. There's been a remarkable turnaround uh, in markets since October, Ed. The, the, the last two months of uh, 2023 were, were a classic uh, Santa rally. Yeah. Um, we often get these at the, at the end of the year. Um, but um, but the one that we experienced last year was uh, you know was was bigger than than the most, um, and it was triggered really by the central banks, uh, particularly the Federal Reserve, apparently sort of changing their tune on uh, the, the outlook for interest rates uh, next year. So the markets have now started to price in um, you know quite a few uh, interest rate cuts next year. And uh, that's been taken as a real positive by uh, by uh, investors. Yeah, and, and the last two months of last year, I mean, they were. Um, it's a point we touched upon in the the video we've recorded this week as well. But it, they were historically good, weren't they? Um, they were uh, many many assets uh, doing a lot of catching up, but uh, now at a looking at quite a chunky level. Yes, I mean the uh, the, the US stock market uh, in particular um ended the year about um about a quarter higher about 25-26% higher including uh, including dividend income. Um but about half of that gain was was achieved in those last two two months of the year. So so it, it's essentially uh recovered all of the lost ground uh in 2022 and and the US market and global markets generally are now back up at um, uh, very close to to all-time high levels. Indeed. Well, actually, that point leads us very nicely onto our first question. So let's get into it, Tom. And the first question from listeners is this. Hi, Tom. Despite the markets reaching new highs, they still look reasonably priced. But is this a false picture? US tech has has priced almost all of the gains of the past year, and those companies are very expensive indeed. 
So what do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all of those points are 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 correct. Actually, that I mean, there is a there's a very wide um, uh, divergence between valuations, uh, both in different um, countries, different markets around the world, but also within. Um, the, the the most important market within the US market, there's a big divergence in valuations between uh, that handful of big uh, technology stocks, which has led the market higher, which indeed are very highly valued, and the rest of the market, which is reasonably highly valued, I, w- I would say. So, I mean, if you if if you look at the headline um, valuation for the US market, it's 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 priced at about twenty times expected earnings, which is towards the top end of the of the historical uh, range. But if you strip out those big companies, then you're looking at more like maybe seventeen times um, earnings, which is you know, not that expensive historically. Uh, but if you look around the rest of the world, there are some markets which are significantly cheaper than, than the US. And, and the one one that I would highlight, of course, is, is the, the UK market, our own market, which is only priced at about 11 times expected earnings. So historically, that is pretty good value. And, and it poses a question, doesn't it, for this, this coming year and beyond? Because you know, what do you do as an investor? Yes, these US tech companies are incredibly highly priced. We know that. Um, But it would take a brave investor to shun them, wouldn't it? Because they've made up so much of the running. Um, It's always the case that you'll have the biggest companies in a stock market dominating and, and, you know, influencing to a great extent the return overall. But it seems even more extreme right now. Yes, and I think that the the, the question is is even more complicated than, than it seems at the moment because I think there's a bit of uncertainty among investors about how to think about those big uh, technology stocks um, because they've in a way they have they've kind of met every every requirement of investors during the year so if investors have been looking for 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 shares to benefit from falling interest rates well um these uh, these high growth companies seem to fit the bill but if they've been looking for defensive companies mm-hmm. um uh in anticipation of a slowdown in the economy maybe a recession later in in the year then those companies have also um, met that bill. So it, it kind of it kind of depends what you're expecting this year as to uh, as to the role that those stocks will play. But it does seem likely that whatever the market throws at us, uh, there's still going to be a lot of interest in those big technology companies. Yeah, and and just finally on this question, I mean, I, I'm I'm writing and looking at these exactly this issue at the moment, and yeah, that point that you make is is very well put. It's it's like the market, whatever happens the market finds some good news for US tech within that. So if it's if there's going to be recession, that's great. If if there's going to be falling interest rates, that's also great. If there's a big recovery, that will probably be great for them as well. And then if you look at something, you know, a big uh, development in, well, in the world in general, but certainly in markets last year, which was AI and this sort of uh, the advent of this, this new technology, something that's going to change all sorts of parts of, of society and economies us tech's at the forefront of that as well and, and stands to gain absolutely you know they they can be whatever you want them to be and i think that goes a, a long way to explaining the longevity of their dominance of the market you know they have really uh you know been in the vanguard of of of, of stock markets for for you know many years now and and it's quite hard to see um, how that will change uh, in future. The counter argument, of course, is 
precisely this point that we've been talking about here, mm. the valuation argument. You know, they are um, they are more expensive than than pretty much uh, a, you know any other stocks on the market at the moment. Indeed, indeed. Well, there's loads to say about it, but we should move on for now, Tom. So the next question we have is this. It says, I have about 50% of my retirement savings in investment trusts that pay an income. And many of these have lost value or capital value, I should say, in the past year. I can get an equivalent level of income right now from cash where I won't lose capital value. Mm. Should I move into cash savings for the year ahead? So income investments versus cash and particularly investment trusts, I suppose. Yes. I mean, there are sort of two questions wrapped up in one there um, because the the investment trust uh, situation has been extremely interesting uh, this year. So just to deal with that first, I I, I mean, uh, investment trusts had performed extremely badly really until October. They've actually bounced back a lot uh, in line with the rest of the market uh, in in the last two months of last year and, and into this year. Uh, but the, one of the reasons why they performed very badly was because the the, the discount to the underlying value of uh, investment trusts uh, assets, their, their underlying investments, widened a lot last year. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And we probably haven't got time to go into that that now. But but investment trusts were a particularly difficult part of the market um, uh, last year because of that. Um so the other part of the question, though, is is really about, um, you know, the income that's available from um, uh, cash versus the income that's available from uh, from stock market investments. And of course, it's not really a completely fair comparison mm. because, um, you know, obviously uh, investing in the stock market is not just about uh, harvesting an income. Um, uh, yes, you can get a, a, a you know a good income from from cash at the moment. Uh, it is arguable that that income is going to diminish as the year goes on if interest rates do come down uh, as expected. But you know what happened to shares last year is really the answer to the question. You know, the shares bounced back very strongly and the the total return from from shares was massively in excess of what you could have gathered um from uh, from a cash investment last year yeah and it's um it's it's interesting because this question is sort of saying you they imply at least that they've got these investment trusts for the income that they can pay you know that's that's valid isn't it lots of these investment trusts pride themselves on a very very steady level of um of cash income um but they're bemoaning the loss of capital value um, but it, it would seem that these trusts have done done the job, if that indeed was the job that, that was intended. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the investment trusts uh, have many, many attractions. Um, uh, one of the attractions is indeed this, this ability to trade at a discount or a premium. That provides an opportunity for investors. But another attraction of investment trusts is the ability of, uh, of an of an investment trust to hold back some income in the good years in order to pay it out in the less good years and that means that they can deliver a very smooth growing income stream to to investors and and, and that is that's of, of great value to to investors and that's one of the reasons why many people um, like investing in investment trusts so much yeah, indeed. Okay, well, let's move on for now, Tom. So actually, uh, perhaps a related question, an interesting one, I think, um, and it is this. 
With cash accounts still paying a good income, why would I bother with bonds, which have been disappointing, even though rates now look like they're going to fall? Surely cash is a better bet than bonds right now. Now, we had a few questions along similar lines from, from investors, and many out there seem to draw a kind of comparison between bonds and cash and look upon cash more favorably. Is that a fair comparison? And, and what else would you say in response to this, Tom? Well, I think the thing about bonds is that they, um, they're they kind of a hybrid investment. Yes, they are a source of um, income uh, to investors, and that's how, how, how many people view them. And it's a, and it's a, a, a reliable source of income, particularly um, government bonds. Um, where the the payment of uh, of income can be relied upon because it's extremely unlikely that a a government such as you know the US government or the UK government will renege on its obligations to uh to to lenders so so the income is very reliable um but there's also um uh a capital element to an investment in bonds because the value of the capital value of a bond rises and falls um, according to movements in in interest rates, so I, I think with cash, yes, there's no danger to your capital, um, and it's a predictable um, um, earning stream. But with bonds, you've got this extra element, and so at times, and I think that we're at one of those times now, bonds look interesting because you're able to capture. Um, uh, a high and reliable income, and also look forward to a capital gain um, as and when interest rates start to fall, um, because the value of the price of bonds moves inversely in the opposite direction um, to um, uh, to interest rates. So, as interest rates fall this year, which is what we anticipate, then I think that there, we will see a, a, a capital gain as well from bonds. So, I don't think it's a completely fair comparison, um, bonds and, and cash. I think they, I think they perform a different function within a portfolio. Yeah, and and I think maybe some of the confusion here is down to the fact that the bonds will bonds held via a bond funds, you're going to get a different experience than if you owned individual bonds. It is possible for individual investors to buy um, bonds and hold them to maturity, and in that sort of circumstance, they are a bit more comparable to cash, aren't they? Because it's all predictable. You know what you're going to get. I mean, there might be some default risk, but um, you can rely on an income and a, and, a, and a maturity value as well. But when you hold them in a bond fund, as you say, you're going to get um, the risks of ups and downs in prices. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good that's a good point that you make about bonds. And in fact, if you if you do hold a bond to maturity, then it's it's actually even more predictable than cash because you know you you know exactly how much income you're going to receive um, uh, between now and the maturity of of that bond, and you know how much capital you're going to get returned. So you do you know exactly what the return is going to be. Whereas with cash, you know you are you know at the whim of um, of the, the 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 cash rates that are being offered by the. Uh, you know, by the by the, um, the the institution that you're that you're putting your money with. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, well, let's move on, Tom, um, from one end of the risk spectrum to the other. Um, the next question is this: Bitcoin has been rising strongly. I know you cannot hold Bitcoin in an ISA, but what is your view on stocks exposed to cryptocurrency like Coinbase and Argo blockchain? I'll say that they're um, 
to uh, to stocks in in the US, I think, which uh, are exposed to cryptocurrency. They say, is there if there is an escalation of war in the Middle East or some other shock this year, will Bitcoin prices rise even more? So what do you have to say? Well, I mean, it's entirely possible that, that, that Bitcoin will continue to rise. It's entirely possible that it will fall as well. I mean, Bitcoin is a, is a volatile investment. It's been very strong over the last year. It was extremely weak um, before that. Um, I think that the, the question is interesting because it, it suggests that Bitcoin might in some way be a, a kind of safe haven at times of uh, uncertainty in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I think the reverse is the case, actually. I think that I think that Bitcoin is 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 actually uh, uh, something of a risk asset. So it tends to do well when risk appetite is high. Yes. Um, and so I think that actually in in the circumstance which the questioner refers to there of a, of a of a heightening intentions around the world, I don't think that that would necessarily be a positive for for Bitcoin. Now, as to those those shares, um, so the sort of um, uh, ancillary uh, companies, because uh, I mean, yeah. Coinbase is a is a is a is a platform through which you can trade um, crypto cryptocurrencies. Uh, I mean, the evidence of the last. Um, a uh, couple of years when there have been a number of sort of um, scandals uh, surrounding um, the, these kinds of businesses suggests, I think, that they're not really um, any more or any less volatile than, than the underlying cryptocurrencies. No, and look, there will be interest in those those companies because you can kind of own them in a more straightforward way. You might be able to buy smaller chunks of them than you would a cryptocurrency itself. There might be tax advantages of holding a share, which uh, a share in a company which is sort of adjacent to um, cryptocurrency, but um, they don't actually move you know, in line with the price of cryptocurrencies exactly. I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of relation. Um, But as you say, they're very, very volatile. And I think investors need to always apply uh, sort of basic principles about any any stock that they buy, what no matter what the industry it's working in, you know, look at the volatility of these things and that they can be very wild. And those stocks have, have been very wild. And in terms of, you know, Bitcoin itself and other um, cryptocurrencies, you know, they're here to stay. That's that's. I think we can we can say that. And you look, you've got some news coming up potentially, which is going to be um, gain a lot of attention when it comes to Bitcoin and, and and other cryptocurrencies. You've got Bitcoin halving, which is supposed to happen this year. You've also got um, some big financial institutions looking to launch ETFs that invest in Bitcoin. It's not completely clear yet what. Um, you know, if and when those things will materialize, and if they do, whether, you know, the, the the questioner refers to holding Bitcoin in ISIS, it's not clear whether that's going to be allowed. We just don't know that yet. Um, but I think the really important point is the one you make, Tom, about it, we're still working out exactly what Bitcoin is from an investment point of view. Is it a safe haven? You can kind of make a case that it might be, maybe one day, because it's a sort of it will move independently from stock markets and it might be a kind of refuge in in times of of high sort of stress in markets and global economies but the evidence so far is that basically the 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 main driver is people wanting to take risk maybe having the money to take the risk and it's those things which are feeding into the bitcoin price and of course the thing that's very very difficult to quantify is is bubble behavior if I if I can say that, or speculation, you know, but, but it will rise if people think it's going to rise. 
uh, we've lived through one big crash in prices. Um, there might have to be a few more before we really uh, understand what Bitcoin is as an investment. I think that's right. I think at, 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 for now, it remains a speculation. Uh, and I think it will remain a, a highly speculative asset um, until it's really clear what the function of, of um, cryptocurrencies are, you know, when, when until such time as you can actually use them um, in day to day life as a currency, um, then it's quite hard to see how it can be anything other than a momentum driven speculation that will that will rise and fall, um, you know, quite wildly at times, as you say. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom. The next question says, hi, Tom. My investments in emerging markets have performed badly despite the recovery that most other markets have seen. Do you think I should sell my emerging market funds or hold on for a recovery? So, Yes. I, I mean, emerging markets have performed badly. And, and, and of course, it's quite difficult to disentangle the performance of emerging markets from uh, the biggest emerging market, China, which... Um, uh, has has performed extremely badly for 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 a number of uh, reasons. I mean, one of which is the disappointing emergence of the country from COVID, which has not gone as well as um, people might have hoped. And the other is the the state of the uh, of the property sector in China, which remains uh, extremely troubled. So China has been a very disappointing market. So I, I suspect that that when someone is talking about their emerging market exposure. They're probably largely talking about, um, you know, a, a Chinese exposure because not all emerging markets have done badly. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the, the second biggest uh, emerging market, uh, India, um, it's done fantastically well. I mm. mean, the Indian stock market stands at, a, at an all time high. Um, over the last 20 years or so, it's massively outperformed the, the Chinese market. So anyone whose uh, exposure to emerging markets is through India has had a totally different experience from, from, from the questioners. So that's the thing about emerging markets. It's quite difficult to generalize about them because they're all very different. The, the markets are driven by different factors. Uh, some of them are, are you know, essentially driven by Cons consumption by consumer behavior. Some of them are driven by commodity exports. It's very difficult to generalize about emerging markets. And, and is, is it the case, I mean, at the risk of generalizing again, but is it, <laughs> is it the case that, you know, the, the recovery in stock markets overall globally that we've seen very much to do with interest rate policy and that, you know, the, the, those big companies in the US that we've spoken about, um, with emerging markets, will it take a, a sort of a, a stronger, more pronounced upturn in the global economy, which we know is quite sluggish and is predicted to be quite sluggish, um, before we see some of that, you know, that consumption rise, the demand for commodities rise, all those things that can help emerging markets? Are we going to have to get to that kind of situation before they can catch up? Yes, I think that, you know, I think emerging markets are particularly um, exposed to the ups and downs of the global economy. So, you know, a, a strong global economy, um, you know, strong uh, consumer spending in the developed world tends to help uh, emerging emerging economies. Um, so, yes, I think where we stand at the moment, where with a slowing economy, the prospect, um, you know, of uh 
possibly of a recession this year. I think it's quite likely that we get a, a mild recession um, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic uh, at some point this year. That's not a great environment for, for emerging markets. However, um, there is the valuation um, element to this and uh, emerging markets, uh, again, uh, we're generalizing, em- emerging markets overall are not that expensive. There are exceptions. The Indian stock market is uh, is quite highly valued. It's, it's, it's Again, like the US market, it's valued on about 20 times expected earnings. But the Chinese market is less than half as uh, as expensive as that. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on, Tom, to uh, home territory for the next question, which is, where do you see UK shares ending up this year? My UK funds have been flat and the news around the UK stock market seems to be getting worse. Is it still worth buying large cap UK funds for income or are there better alternatives? Yes, I mean, the, the UK market has been disappointing. Last year, it was up by about 3%. And that slightly understates the um, uh, the, the benefit of investing in the UK market, because as the question points out, um, uh, the UK is a good source of income. So actually, the total return from UK shares last year was probably more like 7%, um, which is which is not bad, not great, but 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 not bad. The thing about the UK is it's quite a um, uh, it's exposed to a number of um, sectors which really have not participated in in the tech driven rally. Uh, so very heavily exposed to commodities. Uh, the oil price has been very weak. Um, there's a big oil and gas sector in the in the FTSE 100. Commodities have been weak on on the the back of the the, the slowdown in the in the, the global economy. Um, so I, I think the UK investors have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time over the last uh, year or so. Uh, the market has really been driven by those growth sectors, by the technology sector in particular. Yeah, indeed. And 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 is it? I mean, this is something that I feel has changed in the in the sort of my time writing about investments. It always used to be that you know the the particularly the large cap part of the UK market was seen as a, a pretty good way to access you know, global exposure, lots of multinationals operating all over the world. Now, I think it seems like the thinking has to take account of the fact that the UK is quite specific when it comes to the sectors that it represents and the industries, and that um, you need to factor that into your portfolio construction. It's not just about geographical regions, it's about the sectors and how they're going to perform under different kinds of conditions. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the UK is not a is not a good reflection of the UK economy. We've known that for a long time, and um, uh, and it does have a lot of internationally focused uh, businesses. But it, it, you're right; it's not just a geographical point that we're making here. It's also a sector point. You have to understand what you're buying and what you're not buying mm. um, when when you make an investment in in. In the FTSE 100 now, the FTSE 100, of course, is is very different from uh, the rest of the UK market. I mean, the FTSE 250 is a much more um, domestically focused um, index than than the FTSE 100. So, yeah, you do need to look under the bonnet of what you're of what you're buying because um, it, it is important. Indeed. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to the last question from. Uh, listeners today, Tom, before we get onto your fund picks. And the last question is this. Hi, Tom. I believe that the best way to play the markets is just to buy tracker funds. Don't look for a needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. 
Given that I do not need or, or want help picking funds, why should I bother with financial advice and not just get tax advice if I need that? So a uh, few things there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, um, the, the, the question about um, uh, tracker funds is, is a good one um, and actually links through to what we're going to talk about in a minute with my, with my fund picks for reasons that will become clear. Um, but, you know, there is, there, is a, there is a case for investing in uh, a tracker fund and just getting exposure to, to global markets at, at, a, at a relatively low cost. Um, because as we know, you know, cost uh, over time um, can eat away into into your returns quite significantly. So, if you just want to get an exposure to to global markets, then then I, I I'm I'm totally um, uh, accepting of of the argument that that you know a reasonable way to do that is through is through a tracker fund. You are giving up potential potential outperformance. Um, and I emphasize the word potential because we all know that ahead of time, um, it is very difficult to um, to predict which which funds are going to uh, outperform the market. But the ones that do um, uh, historically have outperformed the market by a very significant margin. So you are, you, you know, you are accepting that you're not going to have that that massive uh, outperformance that you can get with an actively managed fund. So I mean, and you know, and that and that feeds through into the second part of the question uh, around uh, advice. Um, you know, and you know, a, a, a big feature of what we provide um, to our to our investors is guidance uh, around um, uh, around which funds to to to, to look at, uh, and in particular through our through our Select Fifty, and indeed through my my fund picks, which. Um, which I think we're going to come on to um, now. Yeah, and, and just that point about financial advice. I mean, it can be a bit of a misunderstanding about financial advice that you're going to, you know, you're going to sit down with some professional and he's going to sort of pick these winning investments and it's going to be great and you're going to, you know, double your money. Um, it's not really like that. Probably the fun picks that you get from financial advisors are pretty vanilla. They should be tailored to what you need and, and your appetite to risk, but there's no special source there to, to kind of magic up winning investments. Um, you are still reliant on the market very much. Um, and as the questioner says, it's not always about the tax situation because, you know, if you've got complicated tax affairs, then probably you're going to need an accountant or an estate planner, someone that has expertise in that. But there's still value, isn't there, in, in financial advice where it comes to arranging these things your your investments your savings uh, other sources of income particularly around retirement i'm thinking of where that is not straight it's not just about the investments that you pick it's about picking them in the right combination and and different routes and financial products different sources of income blending those in a way that is tax efficient but um but but it's sort of somewhere between sort of hardcore tax advice um, and just doing it yourself, they can still be lots of value there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's about financial planning. It's about it's about making sure that that um, you know the, the 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 framework within which you're investing is right for you and for your needs. And that, and and there's a great deal more to that than simply picking the right investments. Okay. Okay. Well, Tom, that is the all the questions from listeners that we have. But I did say that we'd come on to your fun picks. Now you're given the. Uh, unenviable task, Tom, of picking out four funds 
um, which, well, what what claims do you make for these picks? I mean, you, you, you are no more likely, I guess, than 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 anyone to to pick to pick winning investments. But there are uh, a selection of funds that you think are worth paying attention to. So, what are they? What are the claims you're making for them? Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I make my fund picks um, from uh, the from the. the Broadly, from the select fifty uh, list of our preferred funds. So the, these are these are these are funds which you know I know that we ha- have done the hard work on, done the due diligence. I feel confident that they are all uh, good funds. So um, uh, so I think that my starting universe from which I make my fund picks is is a is a good one. And then I try and do two things. I try and I try and look for funds which I believe. Um, will do well for investors over the next uh, year or so. So there's a sort of tactical element to this. I think that they fit in with my broad view of where I think markets are and where they're, where they're likely to go. But I absolutely, these are not, these are not short-term investments. What I'm looking for is, is funds which will serve investors well over a long period of time. Because I, when I look back at my, um, inv- uh, my fund picks from previous years, and I've been doing this for eight or nine years uh, now, very often the, um, the, 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 the gains that have been made from, from my, from my better fund picks have not necessarily happened in the year after they've been made. It has made sense to hold on to these picks over many years because they're fundamentally good good funds, I think, which which may well come good over a longer time period than just, just one one year. Yes. Um, so there's a sort of tactical element, but also there's a longer term um, element to just building a, a, a portfolio of, of of good good funds, and that's really the thinking that's 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 always behind what I do, and it's certainly behind what I've done this year. Okay, well uh, that said, Tom, let's get to them. Um, pick number one, please. My first pick uh, is really uh, a reflection of where we are with. Uh, it, I mean, it's we've talked about this in with some of the questions already. Where we are in the interest rate cycle, I think for for the you know it is possible to actually secure a good income without taking very much risk or indeed hardly any risk at all uh, with your capital. So I have selected a, a money market fund. It's the Fidelity uh, Cash Fund. Um, you can get a good yield from this fund. Uh, it, it's it's extremely conservatively managed, so it's a it's a it's a very low risk fund, and I think it, it allows people to capture what may be the last six months or a year of relatively high interest rates before before they start to fall in the, in probably in the middle of the year. Well, obviously they are they are in one sense comparable to cash, but they are still an investment fund, aren't they? So. Um, in terms of them fitting in with your other investments, you have uh, a bit a bit of flexibility, don't you, to, to 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 use these funds alongside other investment funds. You don't have to take money out of tax wrappers or whatever to put it into to cash accounts. Exactly, that's one of the that's one of the principal advantages of of of, of making your cash investments through uh, a, a money market fund. You can do it within. You know, within your ICE and SIP uh, wrappers, which is you know, which is which is true of all of my uh, all of my fun picks. Right. So then the second the second pick, just sort of moving uh, a bit further up the, uh, the the risk spectrum, if you like, and, and we we answered that question before about the difference between cash and, and and bonds, and I explain why I think now is is an interesting time to be looking at uh, bond funds because I think you know you get this opportunity to lock in a high yield 
and also to get a, a, a capital gain as and when interest rates fall. So the, the second pick is the M&G Global Macro uh, Bond Fund, which is a, a flexible bond fund. It, 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 it can invest in both government bonds and uh, corporate um, bonds. I think the key attraction for me of this fund is it's, it's run by um, a guy called Jim Levis, who's an extremely uh, experienced um, uh, fixed income uh, manager. Uh, he's been at, been at M&G for, for many years. And, and I think that's really important for a, a fund like this, which is a kind of go anywhere fund. It's a, it's, it has a great deal of flexibility um, and it requires someone with a very good understanding of global markets and and um, uh, where they're likely to go. And so I, I think this is a this is a really, really good pick for for someone looking for, you know, for, for, for an investment which sits somewhere between cash and, and, and equities. Fab, let's have a uh, choice number three. So, uh, yeah, I mean, choices three and four, actually, I, I, I'll sort of talk about them together. They're both global uh, equity funds. The reason I've done this is I, I actually think that the you know, for reasons that we talked about in terms of valuations uh, and and the outlook for growth, I think that the I think that the um, the the stock market bull market that really we've been enjoying for many years since the financial crisis, I think, still has got some legs. I, I think we're you know, we're in the twilight of that bull market, but I think it, you know it's it's definitely not over. So I think that there is merit in investing um, in 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 equities. Um, and I think for most people, and I would include myself in this, I think a global approach to in, investing in equities is 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 prudent and, and, and sensible. The two funds I've selected are the Fidelity Global uh, Dividend Fund, which, as its name suggests, is, a, is an income focused fund. And I think in an environment of falling interest rates, um, um, income is a sensible focus uh, for, for an equity fund. I think I think income paying shares will become increasingly attractive to investors as interest rates um, start to fall. And then the second uh, global equity fund uh, is coming back to that question we had before about tracker funds. This is a tracker fund. It's the LNG Global Equity Index Fund. And this really is just a, this is a very plain vanilla investment that allows people to capture the returns of uh, the world's equity markets at a low cost. Uh, LNG is a good manager of, um, of tracker funds. Um, and I think it will suit someone who really doesn't have a strong view, a strong conviction about which investment styles or geographies are likely uh, to do well. They just, they just want to have a core holding around which they can build their portfolio. So those are the four fun picks for 2024. Well, that's great, Tom. Thank you so much for uh, running through them all with us. Um, I'm afraid that that is all the time we have for now. Tom, thank you so much for your answers today. I will remind listeners again that the investment outlook is available to read at the Markets and Insights section at fidelity.co.uk. There's also videos recorded by Tom explaining some of his views of the market. And there is that Q&A video that Tom and I recorded where we answered even more of your questions. That is it for now. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Money Talk podcast. Check fidelity.co.uk for daily written updates and articles on these and other topics from across Fidelity in the UK. And subscribe via iTunes to get the podcast downloaded direct to your devices every week. 
Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.